brothers and sisters in God's family. In the gospel reading this morning, we heard how those disciples were, were locked in that room, um, afraid. Afraid that what had happened to Jesus was going to happen to them. And even after they saw Jesus alive, a week later, same thing. They were in that locked room, afraid. And then something changed. They changed. They went from, from hiding in fear to boldly, confidently confessing their faith in Christ and, and even dying for that faith. Do you know what happened to those disciples? As, as you follow their life, the Bible tells us about James, the brother of John. He was stabbed to death. And then the rest we are not recorded in the Bible what happened to them, but there, there are other records. Uh, for instance, evidently Peter was crucified on a cross upside down. Peter's brother Andrew evidently was crucified on an X-shaped cross. Um, the disciple Bartholomew was skinned alive. Uh, James, the other James, was thrown from the temple and stoned. Jude was beaten with a club and then crucified. Matthew was staked and speared to the ground. Philip impaled and hung upside down. Thomas was stabbed by spears and, and on and on. Now, some of those details may be a little off, but they all died confessing Jesus. They went from hiding in fear to boldly and confidently confessing Christ, even to death. Why? What, what brought that kind of change in their lives? That's really what this new sermon series, Walk by Faith, is all about. We're, we're going to look at what, what faith is and what it isn't. And, and today, specifically, part one of the sermon series, we see faith saves. So what is faith? Well, let me start with what faith is not. Faith is not a, a tool to get God to do what you want. Some people think that. They think that the stronger the faith you have, the more God will do what you want. If you have strong enough faith... God will give you that raise. If you have strong enough faith, uh, that person will ask you on a date. If you have strong enough faith, uh, your loved one will, get, will be healed. I, I hope you see the problem with that kind of thinking. Because if you think that God will do what you want because of your faith, and we all know that our life is not always what we want it to be, then, then that leads you to one of two conclusions. I mean, if, if you think that your faith is your way to, to influence God and things don't go the way you want, then, well, then maybe God isn't as powerful as you think he is or, or he doesn't care or something like that. Or maybe it's a problem with you. The problem with your faith, and you're the reason that, that he keeps abusing you. You're the reason. You're the one at fault. You're the reason that, that you're sick or, or your loved one died. See, faith 
is not how we influence God to do what we want Him to do. So what is faith? There's a lot of definitions, but this is a a great one. Faith is confidence that God is who He says He is and that He'll do what He promised to do. If if you're a fill-in-the-blank person, that's right in the worship folder there. I want you to think about this. Just, Just dwell on that. Faith is confidence that God is who He says He is and that he'll do what he promised to do. In the first scripture reading today, we heard in Hebrews, it said, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I just want to focus on that one word, hope, right there. Hope. This is not the kind of hope that, that we normally think of. We hope the weather's going to be nice. We, we hope that we'll get that raise at work. We, we hope that they'll swipe right. We, we, we hope. But that's not what this is talking about. Think more confidence. Confidence that it will happen. Uh, it's important to note that wise faith is focused is focused on a trustworthy object. In other words, who you have faith in is the important thing. Because I mean, we all have things we want God want to do, and, and God has promised many things, but those don't always line up. Who we have faith in. Wise faith focuses on a trustworthy object. Uh, let me put it this way. Let's say at work, your boss calls you into the office kind of apprehensive, <laughs> wondering what this is going to be about. And then your boss shares that she's noticed things. Actually, others have too. They've noticed how hard you work. They've noticed that you always arrive on time, even early. They notice your dedication, and they want to give you a raise. It's good news. You go home, and your spouse can see that you're pretty happy, and your spouse asks, what happened at work today? And you tell your spouse, boss gave me a raise. Now, technically, you've not gotten that raise yet. You've you've not gotten that check with the increased money. But you have confidence in that promise because who gave it to you? See, wise faith focuses on a trustworthy object. You trust the promise, but even more so, who gave that promise? I I mean, I I think we've all heard politicians give promises, and and maybe maybe when you're younger, you, you, 
you believe those promises, and then as life goes on, you realize that, uh, trusting a politician's promise may not be the wisest thing. Wise faith focuses on a trustworthy object. God has given promises for thousands and thousands of years, and he's given thousands and thousands of promises. And he's never broken a single promise. Faith is confidence that God is who he says he is and what he has promised to do. So let's actually look at our sermon text today. It actually goes to an event that happened last week in Holy Week. This is Jesus on the cross, Luke 23, and it says, Two other men, both criminals, were led out with him to be executed. So there's Jesus and the two other criminals, all of them on crosses. Now those two criminals, um, here in Luke it just says they're criminals. You look at the other gospel, the other biographies of Jesus, and it says they're thieves. But don't think of um, a shoplifting thief. Think someone that has committed violent armed robbery, maybe multiple times. And then there's Jesus. Who on, on, on the political level is there on the cross because the the religious leaders of the Jews were jealous of Jesus. They, they wanted him dead, and they, they convinced others, big crowds, to, to yell for Jesus to be executed, to be crucified. And, and Pilate was afraid of an uprising, a riot, and so he gave in to them. And that's the political reason Jesus was on the cross. But the real reason? He was there for you and me. The Bible says, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. The reason Jesus was on the cross was to purify you and me from our sin. You see, Jesus suffered pain, so you wouldn't have to. If you think of the three people hanging on the crosses, which of them do you relate to the most? The perfect Jesus or the violent criminals? Not really any of them. And yet, what does the Bible say? In James it says, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. We may not like it, but we are far, far more like those criminals than we want to admit. Because we've not been perfect. We have sinned. We, we deserve to be hanging right there next to Jesus, and yet Jesus suffered that pain so that we would not have to. So let's go look at the, the, the journey of these criminals. 
While they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read that this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. There's a lot there. One of those first things that Jesus said was, Father, forgive them. It's amazing. Now, now he said that of those who were literally crucifying him, but what he said is also true of us. Father, forgive them. And that is just, well, that's the reason Jesus came. That's the reason the Bible was written. That you and I would be forgiven. Now those criminals, they saw all that was going on. They saw the the religious leaders mocking Jesus. The the people were mocking Jesus. Even the the soldiers were mocking Jesus. So, So they joined in. I mean, they're, they're for facing their own mortality here. And, and there's this, this thing that we tend to do. We, we tend to, to make ourselves feel better by, by putting someone else down, by looking down at someone. Even inmates in prisons have a hierarchy. There, there's always someone worse than you to, to make yourself feel better. And so they're, they're making fun of Jesus. But then... Something changes. And one of them realizes Jesus is who he said he was. Now, so many people had heard of Jesus. I guess it's possible that this criminal at one time had actually seen Jesus, heard him teach, maybe saw a miracle Jesus performed. Uh, certainly, they, they heard all the things that the people were, were saying to Jesus. And however it came about, this one criminal he believed Jesus was who he said he was. And he, he rebuked, he, he cursed out the other criminal, and then he said something really kind of weird. He had this weird question Jesus, remember me. Why is that weird? He's dying. And so is Jesus. If as you're dying you want someone to remember you, you want someone that's going to outlast you, not someone that's going to die right then. And so this simple question, this weird question, remember me, shows that this one criminal, he had confidence. Jesus was who he said he was. and would keep what he promised to do. 
So what did Jesus promise? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You see, saving faith is trust that Jesus is our Savior from sin. Faith saves. And what did Jesus tell him? Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. I want to make something clear about faith, about saving faith. Saving faith has nothing to do with the person. This guy on the cross, he was a hardened, violent criminal. Nothing to do with that. Saving faith has nothing to do with how long you've been a Christian. Saving faith has nothing to do with with how strong a faith you have. Saving faith has nothing to do with how much of the Bible you know, how many Bible verses you've memorized. It has nothing to do with how much money you've given or or it has nothing to do with how much time you've given. Saving faith has nothing to do with those things because faith is confidence that God is who he says he is and he'll do what he's promised to do. And so we can walk by faith. And when you walk by faith, you can walk with confidence. Here's the thing. At some point in your life, you're either going to hear or you're going to know you're not going to live. When that happens to us, we can walk with confidence. Confidence like, like those early disciples had. When they had gone from hiding in, in, in a locked room to that's confidently, boldly confessing Christ and dying confessing that Christ. We can have that same confidence of of those who have gone before us, of, of people I've seen in hospitals being confident as they face their own death. We can walk by faith with that confidence. Confidence that God is who He says He is. And that He'll do what he promised to do. Confidence that he'll say, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Amen.